Welcome to The Favorites, the podcast from the Volume Podcast Network. I am Chad Millman, Chief Content Officer of the Action Network. We're just coming out of the college basketball national championship game. The Yukon Huskies won. They beat San Diego State 35 minutes from my house. The stores, Yukon campus erupted in near riots. I'm really proud of that. I am joined, as I am every episode, by my BFF, my companion, my compadre, professional better, coming to me all the way from Hawaii, Mr. Simon Hunter. Hello, Simon. Aloha, Chad. Nothing makes sense in life. It really doesn't when you're learning that Connecticut, Yukon has five national titles. It just, what what is happening in college sports? I don't know. It doesn't really make sense. We all know about the women's, but the men's side, are they one of the biggest, best dynasties in college basketball in the last, what, 30 years, Chad? 20 years? I mean, it, it's five hard titles, to say. Five titles, 25 years. Five yeah. titles, 25 years. Do the math. The other teams that have as many titles as them, we're talking about uh, Kentucky. We're talking about UCLA. We're talking about Kansas. We're talking about Indiana. We're talking about Duke. So there is no way, there is no way that Connecticut is not a blue blood program. It just is. And like we like we said, Chad, keep it simple. Just bet the blue team and you will win multiple national championships. And that's college basketball at its core. Just bet the blue team, people. I overthought it. I went with a team. That I should have just went with UConn. I I I think I went with uh, UConn in my Final Four, but they were clearly what one of the best teams we've ever seen run through a national tournament. They they just dominated and blew out every team they came across. So people will get down on them because they didn't run through that hard of a gauntlet. But that's that's sports. You you have to beat the team in front of you, and that's the hardest part is making the buckets in those clutch moments. So hats awesome. off to UConn. Awesome, loved it. Loved the college basketball coverage. Uh, that we did all year on Action Network. Um, some news, some news to share. We're going to get to some Masters content with Spencer Aguiar, who's uh, been one of the uh, analysts on the Links and Locks podcast on Action Network, and he's got a great story. Also, the reigning Fantasy Sports Writer of the Year when it comes to golf, the FSWA, Fantasy Sports Writer of the Year. Um, we've got some news, though. Uh, we know that a lot of folks listen to us directly through the herd feed. I've been telling people subscribe directly to the favorites because here's what's happening. Starting April 17th, April 17th, you will have to subscribe to the favorites feed if you want to hear this podcast. We will not be in the herd feed. You will have to subscribe to the favorites feed if you want to hear this podcast. Again, through the rest of the offseason for the NFL, into the NFL season, subscribe to the Favorites feed. Our relationship with volume uh, will continue happily. We will still be on AMP. We will still be all over the volume's incredibly massive YouTube channel. Come fall, you will still hear me on Cowherd's podcast. You'll hear other action analysts uh, like Stucky and Colin Wilson on other NFL and college football podcasts. But if you want to listen to The Favorites as a podcast on Spotify or Apple Pods or wherever, starting April 17th, as we get into the final days before the draft and then beyond into NFL season, you must subscribe directly to The Favorites. 
We love the volume. We're excited to continue the relationship in a variety of ways. Um, they've got incredible podcasts on their feed, including, and if people aren't listening to this, they should be Hoops Tonight with Jason Timp, who we, we have had on our podcast many, many times. That thing is blowing up. Like you look at Jason Timp videos on YouTube, you watch his videos on Twitter, you listen to his podcast. It's like the audience, what it started at and where it is now is insane. Um, good for Jason. He's really good. Hoops tonight. He's on amp after NBA games at night. He goes live for a lot of different things on YouTube. He's amazing. So go listen to that on the volume feed. Subscribe directly to the favorites. That's where we will be starting April 17th. But let's get into it. As we do, as I said, uh, we've got Spencer Aguiar, co-host of Links and Locks, the reigning fantasy sports writer of America, golf writer of the year. He's got a massively smart betting model. Simon, he's going to make us smart about the Masters this week, which is a great way to transition from the Hectic seasons of NFL, college football, college basketball. People like to bet on the Masters. Spencer, welcome. Chad, Simon, it's an absolute pleasure to do this show with both of you guys. Spencer's about 15 years old. <laughs> seriously, Simon, look at this guy. You can't see him on Zoom. You can't see him in the app. You're going to have to watch the video. But seriously, the guy looks like he's about 15 years old. This is the next wave, though. This is the, the new movement, Chad. I'm telling you. The internet changes everything. This kid, he's got a good story. He's going to tell us. He's been gambling. I mean, shit, he's probably still watching cartoons the first time he made a bet in a sports book. So definitely, uh, definitely a cool story. And this is what I always tell people. If you want to get into this business, you build a model, and you struggle and you grind, and then the next part comes. You need the model to start, though. So, um, yeah, Spencer's got a cool story, and I think a lot of people can take a lesson from it of – no one just wakes up in this industry. You, you got to grind. You got to work hard as shit. And you got to get a model. I mean, there's no more the old school. You got to get contacts, all this other stuff. No, build a model first. Then you can make contacts and meet people along the way to help you get better. But um, definitely cool learning about Spencer and hearing his story. I mean, so Spencer, tell it. Well, l let me say this really fast. We're a gambling show here, obviously. Do you want to put an over-under on how old I actually am? Uh, yeah, I do actually. Uh, I want Matt Mitchell to set the line. If you're listening on amp, you can't hear when Matt Mitchell speaks. So I will tell everyone the line that Matt Mitchell sets on Spencer. 23 and a half. Matt Mitchell has set a line of 23 and a half. Uh, Simon gotta go under, gotta go under. Well, I, I mean, it's I a trap under. line, but I'll, I'll take the bait. Yeah, I think I well because it, it. All right, I'm going to go under. Well, the line was ten off, thirty three years old. Holy Fuck shit! You. <laughs> Fuck you that you're thirty three years old. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'll give you a little bit of my backstory <laughs> here to to get into this. So I started at a very young age, and I think Simon said that best when we're talking about creating models and doing this and. I'm sure my mother would love me telling the story on air. I mean, it's, you know, it is what it is at this point, I guess. But I got into this space and and I'm born and raised in Vegas. So I've had a lot of people that in this town I am close to family friends with. And one of my closest family friends, uh, we used to go travel to Montana with him on his private jet and go do things. 
Uh, I asked Simon this. I don't know if you know, Chad. Do you know the late, great Chip Reese? Professional no. poker player. No. Uh, surprisingly, uh, one of the best sports bettors of all time, too. But very sharp guy. So I was in this space before I even really knew that I was in the space of sports betting and gambling with it. But, I, you know, I was a good athlete when I was young. Kind of caught this bug at 12 or 13, which, funny enough, Chad, one of the first books I ever put, purchased... So I had two books here. I like poker. I bought Doyle Brunson's Super System. And then I got into sports betting. I bought your book of the odds. Those are the first two books I ever read getting into this space. And, you know, I think when you're new into it and Simon was alluding to with it, you don't really know where to start with it. And it's one of those things where you'll get better over time. And I kind of realized through trying to figure out what was the best way to go about it. And I was telling Simon this off air you kind of do things incorrectly at first. And like, to me, it was very basic of how I was building a model. Like I was throwing stats in, it really wasn't yielding the results that I wanted on it, but it was at least doing something to start with it. And, and as time goes on, you get a better understanding of, well, it's not just about beating a closing line number. Like when you can be the one that starts beating the closing line number yourself, and you're the one that's doing that, like that's how this is all turns into this maturation process of trying to do it like, you know, I think I'm a little bit different in this space than most people that are located inside of it. I've always believed in teaching someone how to become a better gambler over straight touting picks. It doesn't mean that I don't still provide a betting card for any of my followers to view. But as you guys know, prices will vary between shops. I essentially use a handful of books that are the most accessible to the public. I will release those numbers. Uh, I will release the prices that I have. I'm up over 320 units in golf since 2017 providing information for sites like Action Network. However, my real passion and how I tried to grow this space has come down to figuring out how to generate closing line value for other people. It's one thing when you tail a pick, but it's a whole different ball game when you can run numbers of your own and land on answers without someone else's help. So we talked about my database, a little bit of information. I update that weekly. I release my golf model on Twitter for someone to use themselves. Uh, two things happen there. One, you can see where I stand on any player in the field. I'm a person that solely trusts my math in every single situation. I'm not a prototypical golf guy. I didn't play golf growing up. This is a mathematical answer that I get with it. And uh, there's no hidden punches when you see my model. Like what you have is what you get with it. And then two, I have added a feature where anybody out there that has access to my model can make a copy of it to see where their numbers might set for the week. So I think that helps lead a better path for sustainable growth for any better out there. Uh, and really, that's been my goal in this space from day one is teach people how to become better betters for themselves rather than just being the person that solely helps a pick where numbers are going to move. And we obviously have the, all those back end problems that come into play. So uh, that's kind of been my passion since entering this side of the space since 2017, which I guess, according to you guys, would make me like, you know, like 10 years old. So a couple of things. Number one, I didn't hear anything you said after you said you bought the odds when you were about 12 years old. Yeah. Uh, but let's say I was listening. It's almost like the way you're giving stuff away, you're a veritable Robin Hood of golf betting. I want people to find success here. It's very important to me. Um, I, I've had my run in the sports betting world with it. Like, 
I made a switch three years ago. So I was handicapping all sports. And as I said, I'm in Vegas. So it's like a very nice central spot to be for the gambling mecca of the world there. But I made a switch three years ago where I wanted to become 100% full-time on the golf side of things. And, you know, that's where this content creation and releasing of the models and some of that has uh, kind of blown up into the aspect that it has. And uh, you talked about it a second ago, Chad, like winning the FSWA Golf Writer of the Year obviously propelled me to a different perspective here to where it allows me to do a show with you. It allowed Matt Mitchell to be able to find me to bring me on to Action Network. So, um, you know, like Simon was saying at the beginning of this also, it's one of those situations where nobody just pops up and is all of a sudden good. There's growing pains that you have to learn with. I'd like to think that I was naturally... I guess, better and had more understanding than maybe like, like this was my calling in life to do this. But even still, I'm, I don't know, 1% of the gambler at 13 years old than I am right now at 33 years old. And uh, there's just so many tricks of the trades and so many things that you learn over the course of time. Um, Tell us a little bit about your model before we get into some picks. Yeah, so I run things from a longer duration of time than I think most people do out there. Uh, I run it from a two-year regression standpoint with it, so I will update that every single night. I'm not a real big course history person when it comes to golf. Um, obviously, you get the current form and the course history thrown into the model, and and that's kind of goes back to what I was talking about. Like Anybody can make a copy of the model. They can change the weights however they want, so then they can get their own answers to it, but uh, I'm a very course specific person. So I am building every single model to specifically try to mimic a course. I, I guess that would be the answer that you would give for football of trying to like build it against a defense or, you know, a, a specific skill set of these golfers that fit the venue well. But uh, I mean, it has been my ace in the hole that I have been using for, I mean, I guess we're at 10 years of it now, but I mean, I would say within the last, like the last seven to 10 years, this model has kind of taken on a mind of its own where um, this is my sole answer of everything with it. And I mean, for every gambler, you have your secret sauce of how you run your numbers and you're going to trust your data at the end of the day with it. Obviously, as you guys know, you're not going to be talked out of an answer when your numbers say one thing. Now, how is betting the Masters different than betting the other tournaments? Is there a key to the Masters that's so much different than the other? I mean, we can call them the other three majors, but you know, you're factoring your model in the different courses. Um, does that play into a factor that, you know, it's the masters at the same spot every year? Being in the same spot every single year is really the key answer to this. Like golf is a growing sport, but it still has a niche audience. We will see that change over the next five years as people realize golf tournaments are, in my opinion, the ultimate gambling event since you get action in countless markets. Yeah, four days of excitement on gambling on the event from a pre-tournament and in-tournament perspective. Obviously, anytime you talk about Tiger Woods playing an event, that's going to help raise the excitement level for everybody out there. But yeah, I mean, I think what you see is what you get with Augusta. When I ran it from a weighted perspective and I said, I'm not a person that puts a lot of statistical course history into my model, 30% of my weight this week in my model does come from a course history perspective. So it means something. And there's just certain expectations that have been extremely pronounced when we dive into this venue from a statistical perspective. I think you have wide open fairways. They're nearly 20 yards extended in width on average. That's going to present this feel of a course that is, I mean, I call it a long driver's paradise. I'm not so sure necessarily how much I want to go into that. And we'll talk about both ends of this answer here in a second. But uh, I would say that particular skill will only take you so far 
because of the massive undulation and multiple tiered perspective of the putting surfaces on all 18 holes that we have, that's really more of where the experience comes into play. And that's why we've seen players like Tiger find su such success here. They just know where they can miss. They know every single caveat of how these greens will roll out. All of that's one of the reasons that the long-term data has generated a 6.5% enhancement when we look into the dispersion of scoring for stroke gain around the green. Now, I don't want to make that sound like it's a death sentence for your game. I, I do think that if you're not good in that area, you're going to have to be, be uh, elite in other areas if you want to get you know accustomed to its unique layout here. But for me, it's overall a sharp short game that can scramble and salvage scores. I think three putt avoidance on these fiery greens will be at a premium. And then the one thing I want to talk about with distance, because I, I think you can make an argument that it might be a little bit more impactful here. Obviously, we have a long course to begin with. You have these wide open fairways, but really the answer to me comes down to it's a wetter Augusta than we have gotten in years past. Um, there has been some changes that have been made to a few of these holes. There might be more of a prerequisite for distance here than we have historically gotten in the past. And I know most people that run their model are like very heavily weighed into the distance category. I'm never one that gets as stuck into that loop here, but um, I did add an extra couple percent because of that reason. Are you a math genius? Like, how do you get into modeling? How are you building algorithms? How are you deciding what percentage to put on each KPI, for lack of a better term? I go back and look at all the historical data, and I try to kind of backtrack a model to see what historically has been pronounced at a venue in the past. And that's kind of where I believe I have my edges. You look at all these venues and every single course requires something different. You have some venues where distance is going to be the prerequisite answer that you want. You're going to have some courses where the proximity from 100 to 150 yards might be in. I'm able to go back and find the dispersion of scoring totals um, that I run inside my database of this is where the top 10 of the field have gained their strokes. This is where, you know, players that have found trouble have had those errors occur for them with it. So it's a lot of trial and error. It's a lot of back testing of these models to do it. But I mean, to give you an answer there from the math side of the equation, like I I'm self-taught. This is this is something that I've been doing for 20 years where um, this isn't just some overnight thing that I threw together. Like there's been a lot of thought that has gone into what is the optimal way to build a model here. And to me, every single course has a unique aspect of how you're trying to build it. So if you can find that answer and look like golf as a whole, I think they've become more sophisticated because if we look at golf, like I said, it's such a niche market at the end of the day, but like through 800 head to head bets from like a two year perspective of me releasing numbers, I was picking over 60% on like plus 100 sort of wagers. Now, I think as markets become more sophisticated, obviously those numbers start to decrease a little bit. And we've seen that from a, a book perspective where shop shops are getting smarter at the end of the day, but there's still enough of an edge in my eyes to where like the unique deviations of how I build a model, I'm able to find some answers that are different and um, specifically from a head to head perspective, like that's my bread and butter market. All right. Well, that's a good transition. So, uh, I want to, let's talk about head-to-head. -head. If you have some some really thoughtful, smart, exciting head-to-head -head bets that we should be looking out for. Yeah, so I'll give two on here. I, I always recommend trying to find opponents that you want to fade in golf 
over ones that you want to back. I think the reason for that is it gives you multiple paths to be correct. Like, of course, we're still trying to find value in the player that we are using against our fade candidate. But I think it's worth talking about who some of the most overrated golfers were in my model in various aspects for this tournament. Uh, you know, golf is a lot different than other sports, whether like you can name any sport. We don't have set matchups from book to book. Every single book is going to provide different matchups. And that's another reason why I release my model for everybody is what I have available to me might not be what somebody else has available to them. So I'm just going to mention some of these players that were overrated in my model. Um, and, you know, if anybody's out there is listening, you can use this however you want with it. But this is an order from the most overrated from a price standpoint uh, to, I guess, down to like, these are the top couple here. So most overrated Sergio Garcia, Brooks Kepka, Mito Pereira, Cameron Young, who I do want to get to in a second, Billy Horschel and Corey Connors. Um, you know, I think from a Sergio Garcia perspective, you're going to have to shop around to find this number, but I've seen plus prices out there for Tiger Woods to take them on. And I, this is a really weird answer, guys, for me to give because I am not one that finds myself playing Tiger very often because of the public bias that influences the market. Although I had the proper price there to be minus 130. So I think Tiger has actually been negatively influenced for some reasons there. But uh, I'm going to talk about a wager that you can find over on FanDuel with one of those players that I just talked about. And this price opened at plus 102. We've seen it move to minus 110 over the past 12 hours. You know, as always, shop around. But we have this really, I guess I would call it super high ceiling with this terribly low mixed floor for Cameron Young against Jason Day here. So I have some concerns with my model with Cameron Young. Um, I understand the intrigue for him because of the weighted proximity total in my model. That grades him sixth to mimic the historical data at the track. Uh, we also get I, this intoxicating off the T return that places fifth. Those two things, spectacular. That's the good end of the, and that's what everybody's seeing right now with him. But I think most people in the space are ignoring his short game that has the potential to absolutely implode on these tricky green complexes. So I'll talk about some of the numbers that in my model that I've been alluding to. So out of 87, uh, out of 80 something golfers in this field, uh, he ranked 58th in weighted around the green 72nd in weighted putting 64th in three putt avoidance and 73rd in sand save percentage. That's putting him right near the bottom of all those critical metrics of how to salvage par in these spots. Like, obviously, if he strikes the driver and irons to the point where he doesn't make errors, this can work. But I think from a head-to-head -head perspective in golf, like, like I said, you're always trying to find a fade candidate that you want to take on rather than backing that high-end results. And, like, the one thing Cameron Young has going for him is it's a reduced size field. I think in like a vacuum situation here. A lot of golf tournaments are 140, 150 something people. Uh, I work off a missed cut equity. And I think some of that gets marginally reduced in this spot, just because we're talking about an 80 something player field where top 50 and ties make it. Um, what that number exactly will be, you can make an argument for with it, but you know, roughly 65% of the field will make the weekend. I'm trying to find that volatility on the negative sense of this. And like Sergio, for one, kind of just my model thinks he's going to miss the cut to begin with. And then Cameron Young, I'm hoping that you get one of these negative days from him over the course of four days. And if it comes during the first two days, he misses the weekend like he did last year. So 
Um, you know, it's not my two favorite head-to-head wagers just because we get a reduced size field, but I do think there are two intriguing spots where you're getting about 20 points of value of where the market currently is at. Chad, in another life, I always wanted to be a weatherman. That's honestly what I wanted to do. And I have the weirdest job everywhere. I have a job that all people care about the results. They want winners. A weatherman, people literally do not care about the results. They're usually always wrong. I want to know how he's going to factor in this weather here. Like you said, you've updated your model based off what's going on in the weather. And, you know, you're tweaking your distance formula, whatever it is, just to go, you know, we could have crazy rain or winds or whatever it is. How hard is that in golf? Because in football, honestly, me and Chad keep it simple, stupid. There's bad weather. We usually go with the dog, especially if it's a home dog. We'll just take the points, right? Usually that's going to work out for you. In golf, is there anything a little easier like that where, okay, I got a guy that I know can drive it over 300 yards. Is that the guy you usually should back then rather than the guy that needs, you know, needs a glean, a clear day? Or there's some guys that just play better in different weather. How does your model really factor into that kind of stuff? I mean, I will more so if I was trying to look at it, I think when we were talking about a wet course distance is a way to add a little bit more to the equation there. Um, I'm not a person that overly weighs weather. And I, I'm going to give an answer for that for the reason behind it. So golf is one of those unique sports. Like when you see in football, for example, they're going to be playing. If there's 10 inches of snow, they're going out there. They'll try to get it. They're going to go play in golf rounds get stopped. And, you know, we can make an argument for what that reason is, or, or, you know, what's going on with some of these spots. But I always believe that weather delays are a really big situation that can occur in golf. And I never want to build a model that is so stuck on this mindset that, you know, you have to have distance because it's wet or you have to be a good wind player. Like when I throw wind into my model, I throw it in from a very rudimentary sense of it where everybody kind of gets an equal weight. And that's just my basic computation of the data of how I'm going to do it. I don't really go in and try to big brain that portion of the game. Like I might be trying to big brain some of this other stuff with how I'm running it, but there's so many stops and goes with golf that I actually tend to find that in general, when weather becomes an issue, a lot of times, and maybe this is my version of taking a dog in the spot, I think the public overreacts in these situations. And a lot of times you can get inflated numbers on on prices that you shouldn't have gotten because of that. And all this weather that you thought was going to be a problem for one half of the field, all of a sudden doesn't become the case. And now you flip the script of what's happening there. So uh, it's a very simplistic sense of how I'm building it, but I try not to get stuck in any one way or the other. But like, do you worry if you have a futures bet, like say someone like me, I mean, we can talk about later on, but Jason Day is a guy I like for the Masters. If if he's coming in Sunday, right, he's he's playing uh, later in the day and the guys are playing early in the day, they don't have any rain or any weather. Do you usually hedge out of those future bets where I know Jason Day is playing later in the day? He might be playing in some wet weather. Is that, again, just because we're expecting a lot of rain um, they're predicting now for this Mathers weekend. Is that something where you would get out of position just because, okay, there's too much unpredictability now where the guys early in the day are getting a nice course. The, the ball is going to land different. It's going to roll different than the guys playing later in the day where, right, it might be heavy greens. The ball might stick more. Uh, do you factor it? You don't factor in at all. Like when you're trying to make a bet on Sunday or hedge anything. I will, but I think the problem is, is you don't have those clean exit points like you would have in other sports here because like, let's say Jason Day is in contention coming into Sunday and you think that there's a weather edge and the guys early in the morning are going to be able to post a total where all the leaders are going off the course and they find themselves in this difficult situation where they're going to struggle. To me, more of the hedge situation in that spot isn't technically even a hedge. I mean, 
you could find value down the board based off of the numbers that I'm running on a different golfer, but there's never really that clean spot because most of these situations, you're looking at a leaderboard where, I don't know, I mean, you have 15 to 20 players that are all within a couple shots of the lead. You're never going to get that prototypical spot where you can say, I'm going to get out of this position that I'm in and I'm going to go into this spot. Like there's too many players, the, the win equity in that spot is so scattered across the board that it's hard to ever find anybody in a position where you're going to reach like that 50% number to where you can take the field versus them. Like that's the easiest way to go about it if you're trying to go that route. But no, I think golf's different in that sense that you don't necessarily have those exit points that you're looking for. And I think once you start trying to find those exit points, you kind of run yourself into an overexposure with your card just because you start like littering the board in all these spots where, you know, it's fine to take some dart throws of players that you think might have a weather edge in the early morning that can make a run, but you also can't get out of a position of where you're at. So, you know, I think outright betting in general in golf, like obviously you can hit big winners there, but it's an extremely high hold percentage volatile market at the end of the day where when you make a wager, I'm kind of a person that just like, this is why I had value. I'm sticking on that number. And most of the times, like when I talk to people about hedging out of bets, um, I tend to believe that when somebody's hedging out of a golf bet, you're probably placing too much money to win the tournament to begin with on it. Like I'm more of the person that would rather just stick with my original stake and hedge on a player to win the tournament down the board in that regard. So um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's like a long winded answer to say, I don't know if golf has those clean spots. Yeah. So, uh, we've laid out the differences. We've laid out the field. We've laid out the weather, uh, obstacles. Who are your best bets? So I, I like those two head to head wagers that I talked about, um, with Cameron or Jason day over Cameron young and tiger woods over Sergio Garcia. I think if we're talking about placement bets here, and I'll end this with outrights because everybody always wants to at least hear the outright winners of who somebody thinks is going to win a tournament. But there's a couple bets inside the placement market that I find very intriguing. So uh, all these prices can be found over on FanDuel still right now. Uh, Alex Noren for me is a golfer that I think that the long-term history at Augusta has been a little too heavily weighted for him. Like when I look at this from a long-term win equity standpoint in my model, He's a top 25 win equity player for me. And I mean, you can find him to win this tournament at 340 to one. That might be a little bit extreme when we're looking at this board, but there's no, a lot that's of what ways. we like to hear here. That's what we want to hear. It's a shot that you can take. And if I'm trying to like back test this when I did, uh, when Danny Willett won this in 2016 and it took implosions from Jordan Spieth and some of those players for him to get across the finish line. But I, uh, Noren's skill set was the most similar that I could see from a prototypical sense of Danny Willett winning here. But I think the more tangible way to attack this market with Alex Noren, you could take him at to come top 30 at plus 240. I certainly think the plus 500 number to come top 20 is intriguing. And then 14 to 1 to come top 10. Uh, that's a bet that I'm just going to be sprinkling down the board there. I kind of generally tend to think that Terrell Hatton at plus 190 to come top 20 has been a little bit juiced in this spot. We heard last year how much he hated this course. I think when the general public gets that answer that a player does not like something, immediately numbers get a little juiced in those spots. So I think Hatton's intriguing. Um, you know, Fitzpatrick, you could make an argument about like his game is not in the right spot right now, but with the way that I'm running my data with it, like he's a top 15 win equity player that you can get at plus 145 to come top 20 on FanDuel. 
And then I guess from an outright perspective, just to talk about some bets here, um, it's a unique situation we have here. So this is not the prototypical answer that I'd give. And I want to kind of give this caveat before. So the Masters isn't a conventional tournament. It enhances win probability the more you play it. But then it decreases the win equity when discussing inexperience or reaching a certain age for these tournaments. So a uh, couple examples here. You don't have to look any further in that regard than Jack Nicholas being the only golfer to win this tournament over 45. Uh, no first timer has won this event since Fuzzy Zeller in 1979. So we get this position now where we're talking about an 80 man plus field where about 17 golfers from the amateur perspective and these past winners that are coming back are playing this tournament that like, this is not a hyperbole over-exaggeration part of the answer. They had legitimately 0% win equity in my model. Like it did, my model didn't even give them any possibilities. So we're already down to a 70 man field just with nothing else being said there. Um, I think there's a couple ways to play this. And I guess let's talk about this from an implied win probability sense. And then we can move from there of like some of these names. So when we look at Rory McIlroy, Scotty Scheffler, John Rahm, my model has over 30% of the win implied probability on those three golfers. Um, I don't think it necessarily has to be those three names when we're talking about placing an outright wager, but the same answer continues here when we branch this out to eight golfers. I'm about a 60% win equity on eight players in this field. When that's the answer, and this isn't like the answer I would typically give, I don't like going to the top of the board and creating these massively high-juiced uh, positions to where, you know, like my exposure kind of builds in that way that I don't want with it. But I have to be honest with you guys. I had McElroy's win probability at about 12% here. It's a little slightly above 11 and percent if we want to get technical with it. But um, I think the one interesting thing about the masters and in, in, in majors in general with it is books are going to be fighting for every last dollar here. So if you just are price shopping for a number, I don't think you're going to necessarily find the eight to one plus like number that I'm trying to get everybody onto, but there's boosts at these books. There's ways that you're going to see numbers shift throughout the space. Uh, there's a lot of people that I've talked to that have been able to get Rory up to 10 to one. And I'm sure FanDuel is going to run promotions throughout the week to where some of those numbers will increase with it. But uh, this is where Simon, I think some of this weather stuff does come into my model and where I ended up getting a switch with some of my data here, which pushed McElroy up even further. So not only is Augusta playing softer than it ever has because of all the rain, but he was a top ranked player in my model. When we looked at rainy conditions, he was also the top ranked golfer in my model when given uh, any iteration of the math that I wanted to run. So that was in any weather thing that you could possibly imagine. When I ran it for dry conditions, he was number one. When I ran it for wet conditions, he was number one. I just think that this is the year that Rory finally captures the career grand slam. And usually in my model, that's not the answer that I give because that three putt avoidance for him is a really scary proposition where he runs himself into problems with this tournament. Uh, top 10 in my model this year for three putt avoidance. That's the highest he has ever graded for me. And then he is number one across the board in most of these other spots. So as I said, like seven to one is technically proper. You might need to get cute in some of these spots to where uh, you might need to get a boost with these situations with it. I know that's not like the prototypical answer that I would want to go to at the top of the board here. I would rather be sprinkling all a bunch of options lower beneath here, but it's a tough spot when eight players have 60% of the win equity. It's just, how do you want to split up that pie between those eight players? And 
to me, Rory is really the only one that had value other than if you want to talk about Tony Finau when he was 29 to one on FanDuel. And unfortunately that number has dropped precipitously over the past, you know, 12 to 24 hours. So I think it's a patience game at the end of the day to try to find some of these spots. Spencer is playing a different game than most professional golf betters. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like he's, it, this is a inside the ropes, professional betting. I was saying, this is one of these we're going to listen to twice, right? You're going to listen to it once and then go back and be like, wait, what was that? He said, cause there's just a lot of, a lot of breadcrumbs he's dropping in here for people to, if they want, especially if you want to build a model for golf. Yeah. Um, a lot of really good info. This is, this is next level stuff. Spencer, yeah. listen, I hope you do great on your Torah portion at your bar mitzvah. You're going to look very <laughs> handsome. Spencer, if you can give us a condensed form of his favorite outrights, that'd be huge. I think the best value on the board, I had proper number on Tony Finau at 22 to one. I believe you can shop around and find that very easily in the space. And then if you could get Rory at anything, eight, nine or 10 to one or above, I think that that's a very intriguing price there. Thanks for coming on the favorites podcast. You were awesome. Get Spencer on links and locks. He's doing great work. I agree with you, Simon. There's so much thoughtful insight into what he said about matchups and how to think about betting golf, not just the masters. Totally phenomenal. Pleasure guys. Thank you. Simon, I'm going to remind people, if you want to listen to the favorites, we are leaving the herd feed. Everything else is staying the same with volume. We love working with volume. Still going to be on AMP, still going to be on YouTube, still going to be guests on the shows, but we are leaving the herd feed. If you want to listen to the favorites, you got to subscribe directly to the favorites. Rate, review, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Leave us five stars. Say whatever you want. Feedback is a gift. Until next time, love you. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.